All right, well, we got three minutes, so there'll be stragglers, of course. So while we're doing that, um, tell me, what do you hope to get out of this session? Like when you see systems, what do you think about? What's a word you think about? Structure. Structure? Processes. 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 Exciting, boring. Ever changing. <laughs> Never? Ever changing. Ever changing, yeah. Okay. Okay. Dynamic. Okay, good. Um, I always worry about using the phrase systems because it's so boring, right? It's like there's, well, okay, so I don't work at a church now anymore. <laughs> I'm just a volunteer. So, but we couldn't say sexy at our church. So our pastor had to come up with other language and he says, snap, crackle, and pop. So systems doesn't have any of that snap, crackle, and pop, right? Um, and so that is, there it is. We get into this zone that basically says, well, we want to be creative. And you do your hands, right? And I think sometimes we get in this system stuff and it's just like, oh, let's stop being creative and stop being innovative and be boring. And that's, that's not what I want to do. That's not the zone I want us to be in. So as you think about systems, think about systems making you more creative, okay? So we'll just kind of frame that conversation a little bit. All right, I'm going to get started so that we have lots of time for questions and stuff. I want to just tell you a little bit about me. I'm Wes Hartley, and um, I started in 1984 as a volunteer at church. That's, yeah, I'm old. I'm old. How am I even alive? And I picked up a camera at church. It was a blue Ikigami tube camera with the first-generation electronic zoom that all the union operators hated. And so I'm a kid. I didn't know any better, so I did it. That's where I started. I started as a volunteer. And so what's fun about that is it gave me a great perspective. And then I moved uh, onto the staff at Second Baptist Church and then spent six years at Prestonwood, where, of course, I got to meet uh, Ron and had a great time, learned a lot. And then I moved on as media pastor at Lake Point Church in Rockwell, Texas. It's the east side of Dallas. When I started, we had two services, Saturday night and Sunday morning, on one campus. And when I left, we had 21 services and 10 campuses. We had 90 volunteers every weekend just to pull it off. And so God really did a lot. He taught me a lot. taught me a lot about scaling things. And so that's kind of what a lot of this has been born out. But the Lord kind of moved me into a new realm at the end of 2018, December. I left Lake Point and took a leap of faith. And I started teaching as I finished up my PhD. And so now I teach online for Liberty University in their PhD program in communication. And I also teach for Dallas Baptist. And I'm actually developing some courses there. If you know someone who wants to do a church media degree in undergrad, they have one. Um, and I built it. So it's, it's coming. It's working into, through all the systems. So those courses are available now. But how do you apply all we're doing into a degree? And of course, it's not easy, but it gives a church focus to typically a communication degree. So I moved from all this church stuff, and now I'm a volunteer again at our church. <laughs> it's crazy. And so I'm a volunteer direct at our church, Woodland Hills Family Church in Branson, Missouri, the booming metropolis. I call it Flannel Church. And if you've ever been at a giga church, 
it's opposite of Flannel Church, so there are no cool people at all. Like, our worship pastor's the comedian for the Clay Cooper Theater, okay? And that pretty much sums everything up. All right, so <laughs> let's get started. So what is your number one challenge? So just think in your mind, what is the thing that I go to churchstaffing.com and start looking for jobs for? The thing that I'm so tired of, the things that wear me out. What is that one challenge? Or if it's not job-related, what's the challenge in your personal life? or in your family life that is just exhausting you and you just can't seem to get over that hump. Think about that challenge. And I'm going to tell you a story about a really big challenge that, um, that Boeing had. So Boeing, back in the 30s, they had this Model 299 airplane. Is that a cool-looking airplane or what? Right? And so this airplane was designed to meet the Army Air Corps' Um, specifications for a long-range bomber and this thing everyone loved it and so Major Ployo Hill and four other crew member went to a flight competition in uh, Wright Field in Dayton Ohio and they were going to do this final test now everyone said this plane was a shoe-in everyone it was it met and exceeded everybody's expectations and so apparently I'm not in safe title Oops, sorry. What a group to do that to. How embarrassing. I think I'd rather have my zipper undone. Uh, anyway, so uh, the Flying Fortress, it, it has its four Pratt & Whitney radial engines, and they thunder to life, and they're just, you know, and they're going to the runway, and they full power, 74 knots they rotate. They sharply climb to 300 feet, and then they roll over and crash. Just like that. Now, two of the five crew members died, including the major, and they said probable cause was pilot error. That's the favorite with airplane crashes, by the way, is pilot error. Now, let's unpack it a second. This was a substantially more complex aircraft than any previous planes. It had four engines, not two. It had retractable landing gear instead of fixed gear. It had wing flaps and trim tabs and a constant speed propeller that would move with pitch. And uh, Major Hill forgot to take the rudder and aileron, or uh, rudder and elevator locks out. And so what happened is they went up and they couldn't go down because there was no control. And so they stalled the airplane and crashed. Now, if you think that this, by the way, is limited, to this story, this exact same thing happened last year to a Top Gun pilot, okay? So that what happened is the newspaper said this was just too much airplane for one man to fly. Too much airplane for one man to fly. Now, do you ever feel that way? It's just too much for one person to do. You're to the limit. So what we're going to do here is we're going to diagnose. So Dr. Hartley's diagnostic approach. Here it is. You ready? Here's my question. Is this problem an equipment problem, a people problem, or a system problem? If you write anything down today, that's it. Is it an equipment problem? Is it a people problem? Is it a system problem? So let's break this down from a standpoint of what we know. The the probable cause was what? What caused the crash? Pilot error. So they say, the experts say, whoever they is, 
that it's a people problem. The Army Air Corps did not order this airplane from Boeing, nearly bankrupting the company, because it was too hard to fly. So the Army Air Corps said it was an equipment problem. Is it a system problem? Well, we don't have enough information yet to know that. So let's look at it. So here's how Boeing solved this problem. They knew this was a good airplane. So what do you think they did? Send the pilots to more training? Nope. Did they dumb the airplane down? Nope. What they did is they came up with what we now call the pilot's checklist. And so they realized that flying this new plane was too complicated to be left uh, to the memory, that's key, to the memory of any one person, no matter how expert they were. And I just want you to sit with that a second. Think about that in your world. Is your solution an expert? Okay. So what they did is this list, this pilot checklist, was simple, brief, to the point, short enough to fit on an index card. That's actually how they did it. Index card that fit in their pocket with step-by-step -step checks for each phase of flight. That's what they call it. Takeoff, flight, landing, and taxiing. That's it. With that checklist, 1.8 million miles without one incident they flew. The Army Air Corps bought almost 13,000 of these planes, what we now know as the B-17 bomber which most people say is the primary way we defeated Nazi Germany. Now, what can we learn from this? A couple of things. One, increased complexity often requires systems for scalability. If you think to your problem, your number one problem, I would venture there's a solid group here that the problem is scalability. It's another campus, it's another venue, it's another service, it's another stream, it's another output, it's another screen, it's another group, it's another event, it's scalability. So in order to have increased complexity, you've got to have systems to create scalability. That makes sense? So just in your mind, think about that crazy cockpit. There were dials and knobs and levers every which way you could and you needed to have a process, a system, so that you could know what to do with those. Just so you know, every pilot today uses this checklist. Okay? The second observation, this is also critical. System problems often present as people problems. Let me tell you a story at our church, and I have permission from our experience director. She said, she knows I'm talking to you guys. She's praying for me right now. And she says, tell them all the stories of stuff we do wrong. <laughs> I said, oh, okay, I needed your permission for that. <laughs> Check. <laughs> I was going to tell you the story anyway. So we have the lighting guy. Anybody have the lighting guy? Yeah, the lighting guy. Scariest name on the planet to me, the lighting guy. All right, and our lighting guy, like many lighting guys, um, he would much rather light than speak or interact with anyone ever. And so he does his job, he does it pretty well, and he doesn't share anything. And it's great until after Easter when he goes camping, right after Easter. Now, of course, what happened to the light grid at Easter? There were ladders and also everything's down the toilet, all the plan, right? And then the backup lighting guy comes 
I got, I think it's scarier. The backup lighting guy is worse. And there's like lights going up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. So I'm in the debrief meeting with our pastor and he's like, uh, so what's going on with the lights? <laughs> and they're all like, oh man, this lighting guy, he's just not got it. And I'm sitting there going, okay, I'm trying to, and I can't, I just can't. <laughs> I'm like, I raised my hand. <laughs> I'm a volunteer, remember. I said, well, I always like to ask the question, is it people, gear, or systems? It looks like people, but I think it's a system. I don't think anybody was trained. And they're all like, what? How? Well, that's not fun because now we can't blame the guy, right? We have to blame us, the leader. What's interesting to me about that particular story is the fact we do not have remote shading in our video land. All the camera operators have to reach up and change their f-stop. So rather than having a system that makes the situation better or at least attenuates the badness of the lighting guy, both things came together to make a really, really, really rotten situation. So that's what I mean. The system problems often present themselves as people problems. And I'm not saying there's not people problems. Sometimes you just need to bless them and send them to their destiny with Jesus. Okay? That I love you too much to let you continue to fail every week. And me hate you. All right? Because that's not loving. I'm not saying that every problem is a system problem. But a lot of times... We get ourselves thinking it's a people problem because honestly, that's easier, isn't it? Hire a freelancer, fire the bad board. No problem. If you'd like to know more, by the way, about this Model 299, I highly, 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 highly recommend this book, The Checklist Manifesto by Atul Gawande. Gawande worked with the World Health Organization. He is a physician, a doctor. And his goal was to reduce infections in hospitals. And they realized that they had all these what they called super specialists, highly trained, specialized people, and they still had high levels of infection. And the reason was there weren't procedures in the hospital, okay? And it was killing people. And so they actually went to Boeing and talked with their checklist group to try and create the system to do this. Now, funny story real quick. They're in the surgery for the first time that they're gonna use this checklist. And the person's on the table and they haven't been put to sleep yet and they start running the checklist. And it's so bad, the patient says, do you need me to leave? (laughs) Because they're arguing about the checklist. They're like, we knew then it needed some modification. All right, so it's it's gonna be part of it. You're going to sometimes mess up even when you try. So let me give you a definition of systems. What is a system? A system is a repeatable, transferable process designed to reduce cognitive load. All right, so anytime you can use the phrase cognitive load in your day, it's great, only to be rivaled with subcutaneous trauma. All right, which, yes? Who knows what that is? It's a bruise? Yeah, it's a bruise. (laughs) Yeah, so you know, you just gotta use the $100 words because you know, it's important. So a system's repeatable, transferable, and it reduces cognitive load. So what I'm going to do is break down each one of these for you. It's repeatable. So a good system, a good system 
produces repeatable excellence. Now, it's important caveat. All systems are not good. Just because it's a system doesn't mean it's a good system. Um, I think we could probably look at any government agency <laughs> as a case study uh, for that. But for you, as you want to create a good system, a good process, it produces repeatable results. So who's had McDonald's French fries? Who's had McDonald's French fries not in the United States? Okay, where'd you have McDonald's French fries? Pick one. China. China. Did they taste the same? Pretty much. They're communist fries, so they do feel sweeter, right? Okay. Where else? Yeah, that's true. Well, they had to share with everybody, right? Yeah. Okay. Where else? Germany. Do they taste like at home? How? Does anybody wonder how that works? There's a process. Ray Kroc loved systems. And he devised this process. You take these French fries that are cut in this way, at this length, done this way, put them in grease, this kind of grease, for this long at this temperature with the buzzer that annoys the living crap out of you all day long until you pull that thing out. So the customer says, can you not hear the, <laughs> the thing, right? Who's been in that? McDonald's. You're like, you're burning my fries. And then you do how many shakes of salt? It's like, and everybody, everybody learns the salt thing. And that's a McDonald's French fry. It's a repeatable system. Isn't that cool? You'll never eat French fries the same again. <coughs> By the way, you know the trick? If you want hot fries, ask for no salt. Yeah. That may have been worth, worth the trip right there. <laughs> okay. All right. Then it's transferable. Now, guys, this is where you all will get yourself into mischief. I'm going to ask this question. Is a freelancer a system? Got an audio guy, he's there every day, every weekend. Is that a system? Thoughts? Why do you say no? Okay. Okay, it's a one-step system. Now, what if, now watch this, this is where it gets beautiful. What if the freelancer's job is to teach how, in the next three weeks, everything he knows about compression? And then his job is going to take Ron and say, now, Ron, this is a microphone, <laughs> okay? And, and the ball goes up, <laughs> all right? So what if the job of your freelancer is to transfer? Now it's a system. The thing is, and I mean this for you as well, your system should not depend on one person's skill, schedule, temperament, big one, or memory. You shouldn't have to depend on that. You know why? Because you do not have enough coffee in your body when you get to the church to remember that. Now, I'm just going to tell you, I do practice what I preach. Uh, we just renovated our room, so we've got all these things. And the guy who's actually paid to do video, he's basically dependent on me to teach him what to do. <laughs> and he's an IT guy. What do you say? And so I wrote out this whole process in Basecamp and printed out the checklist. So last week, he thought he got me. And he says, oh, we need to load that graphic on that channel. I said, I already did it. You went through that whole checklist? I said, yes, I did. He goes, how'd you, why? I said, I didn't have enough coffee in me. He was like, well, but I did. I went right through it. Why? Because I can't remember that. Why should I? I'd like to think about other things <laughs> other than making sure that I loaded 
the sermon graphic on the first channel of the media player. That's, that's crazy. Why should I remember that? I'm old, and I don't want to remember all those things anymore. All right? Which takes us to the last part, reducing cognitive load. You're reducing your brain power. This is like clearing the cookies from your browser. This is cleaning off your hard drive. You're basically freeing up bandwidth um, for your brain to function and think about other things. So if you're a creative storyteller, you shouldn't have to be remembering if you white balance the camera. You shouldn't remember trying to remember, did I have that zoom control on auto or manual? Did the focus work? Why are you thinking about those things? You should be thinking about your angle and, and the timing of your shot and all of that stuff. That's knucklehead stuff. And you can give that away. That's why you do this. It's not so that you're freed up from all those things. It's designed so that you can be more creative and love on people more. So instead of running around like crazy trying to turn the four-year TV on, you can talk to your friend about why he wants to divorce his wife. Okay? See? That's what that's about. Now, let me see if I can illustrate this for you. You've been wondering about the beach balls, haven't you? Okay, I need a volunteer. Jeremy. Come on, Jeremy. Let's go. Give it up for Jeremy. Woo! All right. Okay. All right, Jeremy. Just sit quietly in the corner. This is your main job. Sweet. Okay. What's your actual, like, official title? Media minister. Media minister. This is your media ministry job. Great. Whatever that means. Okay. Now, of course. Part of that is you got volunteers that you yeah, have to yeah. schedule, okay? And oh, oh, then let me have that back. Very nice, well done. All right. <clears throat> what do you do on Sundays? Uh, this is a trick question. Yeah, yeah. Uh, here, you can, you're yeah. going to do all yeah. that, okay? Okay. Now, let's see here. Oh, this is good. This is good. And then you've got your um, you have Bible study on site. Yeah. Got to make sure all those rooms are ready. Sometimes, yeah. yeah. Let's see. Hey, we have a, a special guest, and he's going to speak to that senior adult class, yeah, and we want to record it. Right, perfect. Okay? And then there's this guy who wants a DVD series yeah. for you. Okay? Okay. And then this is, they want to play music for the Wednesday night meal. It's an yeah. old system. Yeah. Uh, you have no idea how right you are. Yeah, I, I do. Okay, and this is, we're going to start streaming all the services. Okay, good. Now, here's the other thing. Your LED wall went out. We need music. Come on. Come on. Come on. Okay, now. It's a little too real, isn't it? <laughs> okay. So let me just show you a way to maybe do this better. A system. Put that baby in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Music's in there. Okay, you clearly didn't learn the story about put the big rocks in first. <laughs> There's too okay. much other stuff in the way. Okay, now watch this, guys. Now watch. One pinky, please. Just one pinky. Look at this. Right there. Now, we need to stream. Now, I need you to train and delegate. And so you're going to give me 
this because you're now in charge of that. Oh, Guys, you seeing it? Yeah, yeah. You seeing it? This is just a system. It offloads all that cognitive hoop-de-doop so that when the LED wall goes, which is an emergency, by the way, <laughs> um, most of the time, you can deal with it. So, hey, everybody give him a hand. Good job. Yeah. So, as you... As you do, as you look at these beach balls, guys, seriously, don't just look at the beach balls. Think about how do I manage this? Hey, by the way, this filled up my car because I had already done these beforehand because my wife had to blow them up last time and she says, I'm not doing that again, so you need a better system. <laughs> so <clears throat> we use the compressor <laughs> this time. So it's a lot easier when you're not flying here and you can just drive them in. So bless you. Are you guys not pastors? He just sneezed. Bless you. <laughs> do they not do that? Maybe it's a Catholic thing. I don't know. I don't know. All right. So <laughs> it's gone off the rails. All right. So obstacles, being in emergency mode. Now, this is for the other people, not for you. I know you would never operate in emergency mode. This is an obstacle to building systems. Does anyone remember the EDS commercial where they were building the airplane as it flew. It was a Super Bowl commercial. All the old people remember this one, right? And so they were trying to build the airplane as it flies. That is a lot of what we do. We get in this emergency mode. So what you want to do is you got to find space to slow down long enough. And I didn't say stop. I just said slow down. Slow down long enough so you can evaluate, create, build, and test your system. Guys, please test your system before you deploy it. <laughs> Otherwise, the patient on the table is going to be upset, right? So you want to slow that down, and it just kind of lets you settle down and get some space to think it through. If you want a great book on this, Dan Heath wrote this book called Upstream. And I'm going to give you his opening illustration because I think it will help finish this out. Dan tells the story of a couple brothers who are fishing on this river, and they stop for lunch, and they hear this, help, help, help. And then they look in the river, and there's this kid floating down the river, drowning. So one of the brothers jumps in, swims out there, saves the kid, starts pulling him back. At just about the time his feet hits the mud of the bank, another kid, help, help, help. The other brother jumps in, grabs the kid, swims him back. As soon as his feet hit the bank, there's another kid, help, help, help. The other brother goes back out, swims, catches the guy. The other brother gets back to the bank, out of breath, help, help, help. And the other brother climbs on out of the river and he starts walking up the river. The brother's like, help, you got to help me get this kid out. And he goes, I'm going upstream to figure out who's throwing the kids in the river. <laughs> now, think about that decision. You have to let the kid go by so that you can stop having kids thrown in the river. That is the hardest part of this job. If you can do that, you can maybe get ahead. Maybe, if you're lucky. This is a killer book. One of the things he talks about is simple systems. Like, for example, this power cord. Who has a laptop, right? I see laptops. Who has to have a laptop at their desk? Who always forgets your laptop cable at home? So put one at your desk, have one in your bag. Simple, 
It's upstream thinking. The best upstream thinking, <laughs> we, uh, Brian, and, Brian lives in Northwest Arkansas. I live in Southwest Missouri, which means all the roads look like this, right? They're two lane, barely, but there's one thing that happens in the middle of this double yellow line, rumble strips. You go too far over, not only do you know, but the guy you're talking to on your phone, he knows too. It's like, and so I'll hear that, I'm like, hey, move over in your lane. <laughs> and so that's an upstream thinking because how many people crossed the yellow line and killed somebody? How many didn't now that those are there? Don't know. That's another danger of systems. You don't know how to measure success. How, how do you say, I prevented this many failures? I prevented this many times of the pastor's wireless going out because the battery wasn't changed. So it's really hard to measure uh, those kind of things. Killer book, highly recommended. Here's another obstacle, resignation. Now, I don't mean you're going to quit, though you might. This is, in pilot world, what we call a dangerous attitude. And what it means is, things are out of my control and I can't do anything about it. I'm resigned to this reality. I can't do anything about it. And the truth is, we all know that we live in a fallen, broken world with fallen, sinful people, and some of those guys are on our staff. And they create fallen, broken systems. So sometimes your organization is broken, and it's exhausting. And that's true. There's no other way to say it. And so what I want you to do is think differently about this. Jim Collins has that great book called Good to Great, but he wrote a little-known uh, sequel to it called Good to Great and the Social Sectors. And he talks about this in terms of nonprofit, which is you, I think, most of you. And so he says, when your organization's terrible, create a pocket of greatness. Create a pocket of greatness. So what that means is as far as it depends on you, create greatness. No one's, no one's going to stop you from being great. You have control of all sorts of things in your life. You can make sure you take your medicine at the right time. You can make sure that your kids are out the door for their school bus on time. You can do all sorts of systems that make your life a pocket of greatness. Now here's the truth. What really happens here, when you create a pocket of greatness, you're that city on the hill. You're that light that's not hid under a bushel. And people start going, now, how is it that you always have volunteers? We can't get any volunteers. Why? Well, I do this, this, this. I train them. I teach them. I make sure they know what's going to happen. There's no mystery. I, re I remove all of their anxiety because they have complete certainty of what's going to happen as far as we know. And they're like, huh, you can do that? Yeah, it's called Planning Center. Shazam, okay? <laughs> and so that's what I mean. Create a pocket of greatness. So please, guys, just don't give up. Keep pushing. Keep making it better. If you can make 52 changes, just little ones, in a year, that's 52 changes. So here was my change this weekend. I try and live by this. So we have an LED background wall, and we have a wide shot in the back, and there was a cable coming down from the prompter that was beautifully silhouetted. Does that make anyone else crazy? And I had it. I had it, and I, got, I climbed up on a stool, probably broke six OSHA laws, and got that sucker up, and I was like, it made my day. I'm easily amused these days. So it, 
I look and I'm like, did you see? It's gone. And they're like, oh, it's gone. My whole team was so excited because the dumb cable was gone. It doesn't have to be big. It just has to matter. And the things that matter to your team, you know those things. So start there. It's an early win. All right, so here's your challenge. Oops, sorry. Here's your challenge. And think in terms of your number one challenge. Now your challenge is to look at that challenge using a systems-based diagnostic approach. Just think, what could I do? What do I have control of? What is a system that I could create that would make this a little bit better? Okay, so look at every situation and just say, what's something I can do to make it better? And then ask the question, is it a people problem, an equipment problem, or a system problem? All right, so the, the secret sauce is to look at situations a little differently. It's just a little different perspective. So if I could just do one thing and encourage you to get up out of the weeds a little bit and look at it more holistically and get a little perspective and say, Lord, give me the wisdom. Give me eyes to see, ears to hear, and knowledge to understand what you've got. All right, that's it. Questions, pushback, ideas I've sparked. I wanted to get, hustle through it so there was time for conversation. Well, so have you done any follow-up research on the whole idea of offloading and cognitive load mm -hmm. and how important that is for us? Because we're all inundated constantly by the tyranny of the earth mm -hmm. and how important it is to be able to do that for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, research says that checking your email too frequently is worse than smoking a joint. That's what the research says. That it actually hurts your cognitive ability more to multitask than it would to smoke a joint. <laughs> I don't recommend it, and I haven't empirically tested this. I'm just saying that's what the research says, <laughs> okay? But, okay. It, guys, it feels like it sometimes, doesn't it? Okay, so here's my theory haven't tested this. I believe the world we're in right now that's filled with all this info feeds our core sin nature from the Garden of Eden. Anybody remember what the tree was in the garden? What was the tree? Knowledge. Tree of knowledge. Does that sound like the internet? Like the tree of knowledge of good and evil? We now know about good and evil all over the world. Places we should never know about the cargo container that fell off the ship on its way to Australia that now had all these diapers. Now kids won't have diapers. And it's in the shipping lane and it's in the middle of all this and the whales go there. Now how will they steer around the shipping container? Oh, Lord, help. We're not wired up for that. And so guess what happens? Our brains are lazy, lazy, lazy. There's crazy level of research on this. <laughs> and so we use what's called a schema. And it's a shortcut. And so we say, hoodie, bad guy. Drives this car, rich. Drives that car, red, it's too fast. <coughs> Looks like this, Georgia fan. <laughs> you know, <laughs> sorry. All right, so we use these. We <laughs> I'm not saying it's good or bad. You guys jump to a conclusion. All right, so what we do is we use these shortcuts, cognitive shortcuts. And what happens is we're making bad assumptions about people, and that's how we kill relationships. All of this plays out. If you can offload some cognitive workload, you now have more time to not jump to conclusions and actually ask the question, why are you wearing a hoodie? Dude, man, I, I've been sick. Have you had a COVID test? 
<laughs> you know? Did you get vaccinated? Why aren't you wearing a mask? So you can do those things. Does that make sense? Our brains are so lazy. Like all the research shows, the fastest way we can offload something, we'll do it. And we have very little control of it. That answer your question? Probably more than you wanted to know. <laughs> Other stuff. You do know it's not just a checklist. A system isn't just a checklist. You can do anything as a system. You can say, okay, I travel a lot, so I'm going to put a set of chargers for my iPhone and my watch in my bag. That saved me today because I forgot until I was about two hours down the road. Oh, I should have. Oh, yeah, I got one in my bag. Okay. Anything can be a system. Um, you can even make ministry a system. How much does it cost you to set up a calendar that reminds people it's their anniversary from when they started volunteering? Groom! It's their fifth anniversary. Hey, happy fifth anniversary for serving on our team. We're so glad you're here. How hard is that? But you'd have to take some time, wouldn't you, to do that? Um, so I teach now at Liberty, and we do eight-week semesters, eight-week terms. And so they turn <laughs> like this. It's like ministry. Um, and so I was just like, okay, I think I finally got it figured out. And the, the week that I finally felt like I got my courses figured out, my boss called me and he said, hey, our instructional mentor, well, your instructional mentor, in fact, is leaving. Can you do that job now? And I'm like, oh, shoot. Just when I thought I had it all worked out, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. And so I had to take about two weeks of focus time and create a thing in ClickUp. Anybody use ClickUp as project management? And just basically created repeating elements. And last week, I would have never made it through the week had I not known. And I had these little things. It just came up and it said, make this announcement. Copy, paste, Teams, send. And that was it. I didn't even think about it because I had already pre-thought about it. And so now that let me have time to do these other things. But you see the, you see the dilemma, right, taking that time to do it? So I just encourage you to do that. You guys know all this. This is not new. There's not anything here that's like so new. Ooh, I've never thought about that before. It's just trying to do it and get through to that point. Okay? Other questions? Come on, you guys. Should I put an intercom on? <laughs> I know you guys talk a lot on intercom. What would, what would you, re you recommend to click up there? <clears throat> what would you recommend for... Uh, creating like a, a, whether it's a manual or a video tutorial mm -hmm. or like, what does that process look like? Do you do that while you're doing the task or do you carve out time to set aside and just? Well, so if I were in an airplane, right, I'd get, I'd be here then I'd go around the wing and then I'd come to the front where the propeller is and then I'd come to the other wing. This is a really bad picture. And then come back here to the tail and check all of this stuff and come back. So they call it a flow, right? So as you do it, as you create a system, think on your flow, your natural flow. The more you can like parlay what you normally would do and where you would normally go into a checklist and that kind of thing, that would really help. So think physio you know, the physicality of doing it as well as the stuff you gotta remember because order matters. And so you don't want to have people going here and then, oh, shoot, i got to go back here because the checklist says it, and then I'm going to just skip it because they're already headed that way. 
So from that standpoint, make sure you're, you're thinking through where you go as you do it. As far as tools, the tool is whatever you'll use. It doesn't matter how great the tool is if no one will ever use it or update it, it's not a good tool. So it could be as simple as notes, it could be an email. So we had this thing, we had a, uh, who's had like, you know, the campus thing is like the hardest thing ever. Is that, yeah, preach. So we did this campus and the campus pastor stated this, the video failed every week for a month. I don't I think I would have known that. So I just told the campus producer there, I said, hey, could you just shoot me an email every week that says, Video was great, video played without an issue, it had an issue, had a lip sync, there was this. Whatever happened, just let me know. So it was just an email, simple. Now I had data, so no, there was no tool, just email. Then he started saying, oh, and we need batteries next week. Oh, well now I forward the email to the guys, hey, we need batteries at that campus next week. Oh, okay. So we created ultimately what became known as the producer's um, campus report and it was in base camp. And they just did a new item and added it. Anybody would come to you, hey, would you just remember, we need two rolls of gaff tape because we need one for the room and they gotta go to camp and they need one. Would you just type that in? Two, 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 two rolls of gaff tape, Tiny's campus. And then on Monday, the team gets it, it's sent to the, assigned to the right person, they put it in the packet, the guy takes it over, done. And the reason we use it that way is so that we're not making the same mistakes over and over again. I wanna make brand new mistakes every week. So Basecamp worked for us. For kind of a dynamic thing like that, it works really quite well. Um, and then for, for like project management, I feel like the ClickUp is probably a much better tool than Basecamp. Yeah, even a spreadsheet would be good. Um, I would say find the thing that has good tutorials. I got this girl, Layla. And Layla tells she processdriven.com and she can she just creates videos all day long. And I learned everything I needed to know was but a, I was afraid to ask. And I just watched Layla. She's my friend now. <laughs> Thanks, Layla. Thumbs up. And I learned ClickUp in about a, two days. And my daughter is the one who taught it to me. She uses it for her middle school students. So she can kind of keep track of what's going on in their life. I use it for all of my students. They do an intro video, I do a little screen grab, say what's going on in their life, what's their dissertation gonna be, oh, spiritual condition, not so sure, little flag. And it's these little prompts for me. And so I graded one today, and I went back to click up and looked, and I go, oh yeah, his spiritual condition's a question mark. I would concur, <laughs> since he credited Jack Hayford with Luke 2. Anyway. <laughs> 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 but that's just oh a hint. So that's does that help? Whatever you'll use. Okay. Other other questions, thoughts? Was it a total waste of time or was it just useful? You think there's one thing you take home from it? Because that would be worth it. Okay. Uh, I'm around if you want to talk, chat. I'm gonna be here throughout the week. So I'm happy to throw ideas your way and listen. I'll do a lot of listening, whatever you need. Thanks for being here. I think this is it. I was supposed to get 35 minutes, and I did 38.